Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Dan Ozzie, the author of Sellout. We talked about Jimmy World's 1999 album Clarity, and also about Dan's journey as a writer and his new book. If you haven't checked out Dan's book Sellout, I highly recommend it. We've brought it up several times on this podcast, and if I do say so myself, it's up there with books like Our Band Could Be Your Life, which, if you know me, that's saying a whole hell of a lot. The book documents the major label debuts of bands like Green Day, Jawbreaker, Jimmy Eat World, Against Me, and so many more. Check it out. Okay, please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we talk about records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. Subscribe for as little as $1 a month and get an exclusive episode every week. Really helps us keep doing what we're doing, and we super appreciate your support. So check that out. Okay, no delays. Let's chat with Dan. Hey Dan, how'd your weekend go? Um, pretty good. I I saw what I would describe as a life changing show. I think. How often? What, Will do you Smith? Say that? Uh, no, no. I avoided all. I, I I'm irritated to even fucking hear his name because I work so hard to avoid uh, learning any information about pop culture goings on. So no, not Will Smith. <laughs> I, yeah. I saw I saw my friend Sarah open for the Armed, and it was uh, oh yes, yes, really something. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw that in your stories. Um, yeah, I feel like I haven't gotten around to listening to that band. I, I'm not really sure why. Um, all I can really take away from them is that they got really ripped during the pandemic, and a lot yeah. of people seem to like them as a band. So I have no other reason why I haven't. So one of only. One of many interesting things about them, just like the only piece of postmodern art in in music left, in my opinion. They're yeah, and live it was just. Uh, I was thinking that it felt like, it felt like if uh, you could, you know, like early Nine Inch Nail shows or something. Like it just felt like I'm like I can't believe I'm like seeing this in. I mean, it wasn't like a small room, but it wasn't like a an arena or anything like that. But I'm just like I cannot believe I'm seeing this in this like this should be in, a, in, a, in an arena, uh, and yeah. So I feel like I'm still kind of like punch drunk from it, and that was like two days ago. Yeah. What size room would you say it was? Oh, it's like a theater. There's like a lot of small theaters in downtown, and there, it was at this one called the Regent, which is maybe a. I'm really bad at estimating, um, but. A twelve hundred person, a thousand person type, you know, mm. like, um, really, again, so that could be like way <laughs> off, but to me, that's like what ish it is, or maybe it was more, more like six hundred, um, but yeah, it's just it it just felt like the, the production of it could have fit on a festival, so I'm like just amazed that I saw that in a room, <laughs> like an yeah. indoor space, yeah. Yeah, I I never I don't know why I really ask because I really have no concept of it either. I I just know that someone at work told me they went to see. It was a to me a big name artist like it might have been like 
Chris Stapleton or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, yeah, it was a really tiny place. And I was like, what? And they were like, the Fillmore? And I was like, that's, what are you talking about? Like, a little tiny place to me is like, you know, a shed. Right. You know? <laughs> I just looked it up. It's 1100 That's a big place. They're doing well. Yeah. Uh, that's what happens we... when you only play three shows a year. You can you can do that. Oh, uh, well, I wish. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we are not talking about the arm today. We are oh. actually talking about Jimmy World. I should have. I should have picked that album. That's just like a modern classic. Damn. Well, right. maybe. Well, yeah, then I would have had a reason to listen to it <laughs> since I've been arbitrarily delaying it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we are talking about Jimmy World's album Clarity that came out in 1999. It's their third album. That's Capitol Records, and it was produced by Mark Trombino. And what I'll ask is, when was the first time you listened to Jimmy World or this record? Um, Probably the last year of high school for me. Probably that that high school into college interim um was when this was a a big record for me that's like around around when it came out like that year i think it came out in 99 um so yeah and it was like a big big album amongst my friends and and one of those things too that you can't like i feel like at that time i had no sense of scope for the things that i liked there were some bands that i thought were like so huge in their scenes and it turned out like it was just me and my friends, you know, like I thought Weston was a huge band. <laughs> it turned out like just people in the tri-state area even knew who they were. Um, so yeah, at that time, like I, I genuinely had no barometer for how big Jimmy world was and they weren't very big at that time. But, um, but I just knew that it was something that was like very special to me and my friends, you know? Yeah, I, I've mentioned the band Weston to a friend of mine in the band Hurry, and he was kind of like, they told you about them here? It was kind of like the response, and, you know, I live in North Carolina, and they were like, I don't, you know, so it was kind of like, it, it was a big band for him, but he didn't assume that it had traveled that far south, yeah. you know, but thankfully to Hopelessly Devoted to You, Volume 3, <laughs> yeah. I think that's, you know, where I've heard of them. But yeah, I have that, like, all the time. Uh, for Jimmy Eat World, for me, it's always just felt like a band that I never had to really put on because everyone around me was listening to it a bunch. Like anytime I'm in like the van for tour or like my wife is a big fan. So it's like, you know, even kind of revisiting it for this, I was like, wait, what record is this specific song on? Like, it's almost like you're hearing greatest hits all the time. So Mm -hmm. trying to think of this as like a specific album. I kept thinking like certain songs of Bleed American were on this and vice versa, you know. So trying to like place the arrow was like hard to me. And also I don't I I tend to not really know their scope either. Like to me, I I don't know. It's I can't really place like their popularity with that if that makes any sense, you know, kind of going back to what you're saying. Well, Clarity is like a very um completionist work like it's a very standalone work. So it, it, if we're talking about like kind of getting it jumbled together with their other work, I would say that this, the album is like, you know, one of, one of the few albums in my life where I would say like, this is a complete, like, you can't really just say, oh, I want to listen to that song. Like you start it and then you have to listen to the whole thing. You know, it's an hour commitment. There's no like, there's no real picking tracks from this one. Mm-hmm. Um 
and there's no duds on it, which is like, you know, like a very rare thing. So, um, so yeah, like I, I do feel like in the catalog of Jimmy world, you definitely know which are the clarity songs. Cause it's like belongs to a, a bigger piece of this like whole, you know? Yeah. I think I realize uh, with this, with you picking this record, I realized that all of my favorite songs are on clarity. So I didn't, yeah, I for didn't sure. realize that. But I mean, it is so important. Like, not to I realize how nerdy I'm going to sound about this, but <laughs> the, the sequence is super important. Like, start to finish, like a perfectly sequenced album, like not a miss, not a wrong note on the whole record, like that type of thing, you know? Um, it is an experience if I'm not sounding too grandiose about that, you know? Yeah. One thing I, I felt like I noticed with this record, dive it into it more was I feel like after this album, I guess like like Bleed American on, there kind of starts to be like a Jimmy World brand that they kind of go back to. And I feel like it's almost not as, it's not as like all over the place as like Static Prevails, but on Clarity, it feels like you can kind of sense the, you can kind of sense the things that they were listening to a little bit more. Like after this, it kind of feels like it's just like, oh, all of this is Jimmy World. You know, just Jimmy Eat World becomes Jimmy Eat World and like Bleed American. But this is like, you know, and it's not that it doesn't start here. It's just like I hear like Elliot, you know, or I hear like Christy Front Drive, which is probably more of what they were pulling from. And, you know, there's things that don't just feel like it's like, oh, this is them all the time. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they also got their um, lineup. Well, they had the same lineup, but they really got their like. Um, places in the band solidified on Clarity too, where, um, you know that was when Jim really started to be the frontman, and yeah. like so much like physically like started standing in the middle of the stage when they played, you know. So like, and I feel like that that difference kind of really opened up the next era of Jimmy Eat World, and so like once once they had laid that groundwork with Clarity, you know, certainly like bleed american was where they just took it and ran with it you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so when you were getting into them you said like this was around the time clarity came out uh was the first time you had heard them do you feel like that's why it sticks with you or do you feel like you have enough hindsight to be like no this is their best uh i mean no yeah i do <laughs> there's a lot of albums that I loved in my senior year of high school that I can readily admit do not hold up as well. Um, but no, I listened to this album at 18 and loved it. Listened to it at 28 and loved it. Listened to it at 38 and loved it. It is, uh, yeah, it, it's, it is certainly hard to separate it from the yeah. quality itself, but like it, you know, I feel like I can pretty objectively get listened to it with like, as much of an attempt at fresh ears as I can, and it still sounds amazing to me. So, uh, no, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think that, like, my my high school mentality and my, you know, predilection for nostalgia is doing anything to sway my opinion. I feel like it's a pretty, it solidified its place as a pretty, <laughs> pretty special album. Yeah. Um what I was I was thinking if you I was wondering if you had insight to this like did you have any idea of like why since I guess you did research for your book sell out like why they decided to kind of shift 
from Tom singing into Jim, or was it like a talked about thing? Or I don't did, think did, it. You get from, any... from what I understood, it wasn't really like um, premeditated. I think it was just that like Jim hit this really like exciting creative spurt, you know, where he had like more song ideas and, and he was just, I mean, the guy was just really like came into his own at that time. He was just really on fire and, you know, they had two singers at that time. And so that, that was kind of like, that was kind of, uh, them figuring out like, Oh, Jim wants to take the reins. Like, let's let him. Cause clearly like he's got something, you know, like go for it. Um, so that's kind of how that I, that worked. I think it was like an organic thing. I don't think that they were like, hey, you know, like Jim is more marketable. <laughs> I think yeah. that was just kind of how it happened, you know? Yeah, I wondered that with like, it didn't feel, everything that they've done in their career just kind of feels like they were under the radar enough that they could do their own thing. And then it just kind of kept working out that way every single step. You know, so I couldn't imagine there being like a meeting of like Capitol Records guys being like, well, we think Jim, because I don't think they, it's like, it almost feels like Capital or, you know, even onto DreamWorks, it's like even almost knew that they were on the label, you know, in a sense. Well, because DreamWorks like, certainly fucking knew that they were on the label, yeah, for sure. Like, like some of the stuff with Capital Records, like uh, where they did the four-way split, and it's like, if Capital, normally, I mean, that's not a thing I feel like bands would be able to do now on that because it's like they were allowed to just do a four-way split because i guess like capital wasn't paying enough attention you know yeah no 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 i just to be clear like what you're saying is applicable only to capital like when they were on capital um they were you know i i'm sure there were people working there that didn't even know that they had a band called Jimmy Eat World on their label. You know, they were very much under the radar, kind of the pet project of two specific guys that worked there. And, um, and yeah, that, that did have its benefits, which is just like they could kind of do stuff under the radar, like low key and the label wouldn't notice because they were so small potatoes. But to be clear, that did not apply to DreamWorks. Like once mm-hmm. they were recording Bleed American, there were labels very interested in them already. Like that, from what I understand, that like material that became Bleed American started getting around, and labels took interest of in it, and it became a very uh, contested prize to get Jimmy Eat World. Uh, so once DreamWorks had them, and then the album came out, and then immediately um, the middle became like a very instant hit single and so there was no point at which dreamworks was not very aware that they had jimmy world you know but yeah certainly clarity it was just kind of like um you know not not on the top shelf for them yeah is there a point in your own journey with listening to jimmy world where you kind of like put it by the wayside or do you feel like they've been with you like the whole time and i guess i'm kind of projecting my myself into this because I feel like there's a point where I, I wouldn't have really listened to Jimmy World a lot because I was like into metalcore or whatever. And then there was a point where it's like, then kind of like I got really into like fast punk kind of stuff. And so it's like, I, yeah, I didn't, I just heard it all the time, like I mentioned, but it wasn't something I grabbed for. Do you feel like there was like a shift in your own, like listening, maybe like around college where you're kind of like, I don't need this as much and you kind of gone back to it or... Um, like, I think that like, 
this is not a perspective that I could have had as a younger person, but I think when you listen to one band and follow their career for, you know, in some cases like two decades or more, you know, like um, they are important to you at different periods in your life. And sometimes you um, kind of fall out of sync with them, but then sometimes you can reconnect like, I've said this before many times, but like against me was a band like that. Who, that meant so yeah. much to me. And then I kind of um, didn't really pay too much attention to them during their like major label days. So there's two albums where I kind of really like missed what they were doing, but then they put out an album that I absolutely loved and kind of came back. And I think that's just how it is. Like it's how it is with friends. I, you know, there are friends that I've had for 20 years that like we've been closer at times than others um and so so jimmy world like yeah um huge fan of clarity and then huge fan of bleed american as well and then they did futures and i liked futures okay but then after that i kind of started fading a little bit um if you put it jimmy world record on i'm sure i will still love it like i still like their sound i just stopped follow following them so religiously but i i still consider them like one of my favorite bands and um it, it yeah it's just like kind of you know clarity and bleed american was a really hard bar to like keep competing with and i don't expect them to keep doing that um and i like like i said i like their their material that they've done over the last 10 years but like nothing has just like struck me on such a personal level like clarity so you were saying something about like it being like the perfect track listing from start to finish um so so i guess you mean like you don't feel like there could be do you feel like you could cut like one song it being like a 64 minute long record what would you cut or you don't think you could make that decision yeah no every it's like a perfect little um house like you can't yeah you can't can't start taking the bricks out um think everything has its purpose like everything earns its place in this record there's just no you know like no couldn't couldn't really couldn't pull one i don't think i would cut i I feel like most people will probably look at this and be like oh maybe goodbye sky harbor but it's probably one of my favorites on Mm -hmm. the record like i love i love the song like in its entirety like i wouldn't imagine it being like any shorter which is crazy for you know 16 minute long song um but and then inversely, then if you can't cut a song, what would you what would you say is your favorite song on the record? See, that's that's another thing too. Like I really can't do that. Like I can't play favorites with it because, like I said, it's a completionist piece. Like I can't, you know. Like I I have to listen to the whole thing. It's really hard. Um, like the thing that I love about this album is it, it puts you, it puts me, I can't speak for everybody, but it puts me on such an emotional journey, right? That I feel like at the end, I'm in this like place of catharsis and I really can't get there unless I start from the beginning, you know, like it's really hard for me to just, it's like, uh, it's like if you watched eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and just jumped into the last act, like you, it's not going to be earned. You're not going to feel so sad because you don't know what preceded it. So same thing. Like I really can't just be like, Oh yeah. Like this one single from it is great. And it's probably why this album did not work for singles. You know, like lucky Denver mint was the closest that they had that got like some radio play before it came out, but it really, 
it wasn't a singles album and that's why it was so hard for capital to market you know like it's it's not it's not really an album that you can that you can like take in piecemeal um which you know is is a like an amazing accomplishment for for an artist you know like this is a piece of art but like for a, a label that wants to commodify it like it's it's not <laughs> it's not probably something that they want because it's like i said it's very hard to take little pieces out and try to sell them to people yeah yeah well i would pick blister <laughs> yeah okay or right or blister that's what i meant i meant blister yeah yeah i always i i feel like well, when I was listening to, I was kind of revisiting uh, Static Prevails as well, because I always felt like I was like, oh, I wish I had more Tom songs. Mm. And, you know, that's that's always my issue with the band. I'm like, I love this song so much. I'm like, I want more. And then, you know, kind of revisited Static Prevails, and I'm like, oh, but that's not what I want. You know, it's like it's like I want... I want Tom to sing more with the band that it is now, but it's, but it's obviously if, if he doesn't want to, if he wanted to do it, he would have done it. That's his point. You know, it's like, I'm fine with Jim being the front person, but it's just, I love this track so much as like a standalone thing. Um, like if I were to, if I were to take one out and put it on a playlist, it would be blister, you know, Mm -hmm. like any playlist, you know, but also I agree with you in the sense that like, it's like, if you hear, on this type of record, when you hear, like, if you hear the song come up on a playlist, a song on this record come up on a playlist, you're wanting the next song, you know? It is it is hard to kind of, like, take it out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But then or also, like, too, yeah. it's a very misleading song to do that with, because it is the only song that Tom sings on, on this record. Yeah. So yeah. if, I, and, and it's funny, because his voice is kind of, like, remarkably close to Jim's, I think, in, in style. Yeah, it's not and that, that far. But... But yeah, if that was the one that you pulled out to like hook somebody with the album, it's the most misleading one that you can give them. It's the only one with a different singer. Yeah, because even with like Static Prevails, it's like they're both kind of yelling. So it's like one person's yell is a little deeper than the other. But it's like, especially around this time frame, if I didn't have any way to kind of reference it, if I was just looking not even at a CD, probably a burn CD or something, then I, I don't think I knew that they had a different singer, you mm. know, around the time that this came out. It was just, oh, he yells more on this track. <laughs> so, because you wouldn't have really been able to find out that easy, you know, except right. buying the CD. Yeah. But, but like, uh, t- so have you like seen them a lot? Actually, no. I think I've only seen them a handful of times and, and probably not for a while, actually. Um, so no, like, and you know, I definitely would go see them, but to me, they are like uh, such an album band. Actually, it's funny because the last time that I, you know, saw them in air quotes um, was I uh, I watched the, during the pandemic when there were no, and well, we're still in the pandemic, but you know, when there were no shows yeah. during the pandemic, they did that like um, live session of Clarity, uh, and that was like the closest that I had come to seeing them in quite a while. Cause we couldn't see any shows. Um, but they played it straight through in this like really beautiful setting. And it was really nice and like really special. So I don't know if that counts as seeing them, but yeah, I bought my, my ticket to their live show. And that was, that was the last time I, you know, quote unquote saw them. Yeah. I feel like in nowadays standards that that counts. Yeah. Maybe that counts. <laughs> and I wonder if I, I was kind of wondering if those type of shows will, 
continue? Does the market like dry up completely with, you know, uh, I guess live streams once because we're not, well, I guess there is that thing we, we say it's like, oh, during the pandemic. And like you said, like you caught yourself, it's like still very much happening. So it's like a weird thing. But yeah. I, I always wonder if like live streams on that level will keep happening. Yeah. I wonder if that's still, I don't know if it's still available, but it's, it, it was great. It's, it, it felt very like, um, you know, like private and what's the word I'm looking for, but yeah, it was, it was just really, really beautiful. And, and I don't know, uh, there, there was something about it and it hit like right in that time in the pandemic where we're like, when the fuck is this going to end? Uh, and then you see this like really intimate performance and it felt nice for like a little bit, you know? Yeah, I always, uh, anytime I see like this kind of stripped down kind of Austin City Limits things, I'm always just like, why can't like bands I like do things like this where it's like, you know, it's kind of like just a row of seats. There's not a ton of people there. They're not really changing anything about what they do, but it's just, there's like 15 people there, you know? Yeah. Like I want that with like, you know, Jimmy World or something, but we're not allowed that yet. Maybe that's mm. a part of aging. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> But one of the things that I was like thinking about, which because I knew I felt like I was going to get asked about it, are the are the lyrics and the and the because like I have such a this is the thing about this album that I was thinking before I started is is the weirdest thing. But sorry, I didn't want to like interrupt you. But that's the thing no, I was no, thinking no. about all morning. It, well, what preparing preparing to talk to you like really made me think about the lyrics and and like kind of made made me come to some realizations that I had never thought about before. It was interesting. Sorry. Yeah. No, please um, do. Well, the lyrics. It's funny because um, I was thinking about how I'm trying to like I've been thinking about how to say this without sounding like a huge poser, but um, th- there are some albums that I love dearly that if you put them on, I'll like sing along to them. However, if you gave me like a pen and paper and was like, and we're like, write down the lyrics, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be able to do it. And clarity is one of those albums. And this is such a a hard thing to explain, but there are some albums who like the songwriting and the storytelling. I really try to dissect and understand like what the meaning is. Um, there are some that I almost like don't, I don't know what really they mean. And I kind of don't want to know, like it demystifies it for me. Like, I feel like this is such a beautiful album and it's very evocative in that it really stirs something in me, in me emotionally. Um, and I like, don't want to know really like the meaning behind the lyrics because like I'll sing a line like dancing in plastic shake up snow. And I think that's such a beautiful image. And I almost like am a, like, I don't know. Like I think art means what it means to you hearing it. And so like just hearing that lyric makes, makes me very emotional and I don't know why. And I like, don't, yeah, don't almost it's like a Rorschach test. It's almost like the way I listen to Seeger Rose, where like they don't have lyrics because they just want you to feel it as an instrument. Like this almost feels like that to me. Like there's it's just like a series of beautiful lines that means what it means to me, but like maybe it means something completely different to Jim Adkins, and that's fine. And I almost don't want to know. <laughs> you know, I don't want I don't want to know like wh- where 
the headspace he was in. And and again, there are some albums that I do. I really want to know, especially if it's like a very straightforward album, you know, or like they're trying to get something across like Minor Threat. Like you give me a pen and paper, I will write down th- that whole album in like in the middle of the night. I could do that, you know, and like exactly what they're saying because they're so straightforward you know like i'm a person just like you i got better things to do you know like you know like yeah, yeah i yeah. know what you're saying but i th- i feel like clarity is so much more ethereal and um subjective and so like i i feel like i just enjoy just letting it be about what i feel that it's about <laughs> you know yeah and so i guess did you have like your own feelings about what each song is about or specific songs no like that again that's the thing like to me the album itself is so tied to the memories that i have listening to it with people that i love and so like to me when i hear the record i hear that um you know like i i hear i hear uh the last song on the album and i I think about how me and my friends insisted on reading a prayer for Owen Meany because that's what it was based on. And in t- this one week where we were all like talking about John Irving and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, I try, I just, re- but I really just try, I've tried over the years to like avoid getting into the weeds about the album's meaning. And it was weird because like, I, you know, I wrote this book where they're in it and I, you know, it's mostly about static prevails, but there is some clarity and I had to describe like what the album sounded like and I could do that. But like, I really avoided getting into the weeds on like Jim, Jim's like reasoning behind it. Like, again, like it's just, it, it feels very emotional in a way that like, I like to sing it and I like to feel it and, and maybe somebody else will sing it and, and feel it and it'll mean something else. And that's fine. Um, but it's just such a complex album that I, I just, I don't, I, it's hard to say this, but like, you know, when you watch a David Lynch film, there are just elements in it that, um, just are there to just make you feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and again, maybe they'll like f- make somebody else feel differently than somebody else. Like maybe somebody will see something and it'll evoke fear in them or maybe, but you know, like maybe it won't have that effect on somebody else. Cause it's so dreamlike. And that's what this album to me feels like. It feels like you're in this like dreamlike state almost. And, and to, to try to squint your eyes and like put edges on these amorphous shapes. I don't want to do it. (laughs) I want to just feel it. If that makes any sense. No, it makes a lot of sense to me because I feel like, and I, I think it maybe because I liked a lot of heavy music as a kid. Like I, it's like I don't like when I am listening to this record, kind of like you're saying, like I have a feeling I'm going through as well, you know, but it's probably like whatever feeling I'm going through at the moment. And then I'm like singing along. But then when it's done, if someone were just like, now tell me what that song's about. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I don't know if it does feel like kind of like waking up from a dream. And then you're like, I guess I could kind of tell you what this dream was about, but it's really not going to translate. Like, yeah, this, you know, like in a, a dream, chicken, how, you know. You know what, in your dreams, how like everything, like all the corners are kind of blurry, you know? Yeah, like a and, Christmas story. And you don't want to really, like you can't, you have to like really focus on something in, in there yeah. to, to, for it to come to light. Like it's, I kind of feel that same way. And, and it's weird too, because I don't know if it's just because like I really was into this over, over the winter or it's because there's like Christmas 
references on it, but like it really, this album feels like a Christmas album or a winter album. Like it doesn't have the same impact to me as if I try to listen to it in the summer. It's a real winter album and it really truly just feels like being outside in a blizzard or something like that, you know, where everything feels so like, you know, your lines of sight are limited and everything is kind of hazy. And it's funny because this is like one of the only albums that I'll talk about in these terms, but it just, because again, it's just an emotion forward album for me. It's an emotion first album for me. There are some where it's, you know, like music that's, that I love, like that's the complete opposite like Woody Guthrie or something like that guy mm-hmm. is just saying what he's saying and he's using a guitar. So you'll want to listen to it. Uh, you know, he wants to get the message across and this feels like in the inverse of that, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Had you listened to any of Jim's podcasts that he was doing? He might still be doing it. But... A little bit. I, I know I watched the one with Mark Hoppus. Um, yeah. Cause I've always found their, their friendship to be so, so interesting um on both both sides of the coin you know because like i i don't know if this made it into my book no i think it did um but you know like they um when jimmy world had finished clarity their label gave them these uh cassette samplers i think that had like uh two clarity songs and two less than jake songs on it and they gave him like a lot of them. There were like thousands of these things. So Jimmy Eat World was just bringing them on tour, handing them out like candy. And they gave one to Mark Hoppus. And Mark Hoppus was like, we were just obsessed with it. Like we we like played the shit out of it. Like this was our new favorite band. And this was like pre-Dude Ranch, Blink-182. So I'm just like, it's just so funny to imagine this like scrappy pop punk band who's like not very good at the time even as like musically and they would just fell in love with like clarity and then it's just so funny too that like you know and then jimmy world was getting bigger and and then they they went on tour together like it you know i've always found that that to be such a funny pairing those two um because again like we're talking about like what an album means and how we listen to it I get the total opposite experience of it. I like clarity. I get this experience that I told you that feels very like cathartic and, and dreamlike. And you listen to dude ranch, same, same producer. And you get like, I'm so entertained. I'm so entertained by these jokes. These are funny to like say back to people. I can tell you which is my favorite song off of that. Josie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, like it's just, you can pick pieces of it apart and they're almost like the opposites to me. Um, and so, like, to me, I just, like, I've always been enamored by the fact that they're friends. That's the longest fucking answer to have you listened to Jim's podcast uh, ever. But, yeah. I yeah, do. yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I was also thinking about, you made me realize that, like, that Lesson Jake record that came out around that time, Hello Rockview, um, that would have, I guess, been the one that, if if they put Clarity Tracks, was it Clarity Tracks that they put on that CD or would have been Static Prevails? That's a good question. I might have gotten that wrong. It might be static prevails, but then you know it was it, it was murky trying to figure this out because I kept harassing Mark Hoppus and Zach from Jimmy World. I'm like, the cassette that you guys traded was that <laughs> from the label or like did you? Because it sounds like maybe you had recorded it and you were maybe it was like a demo tape that you gave him. And both of them were like, yeah, Dan, I don't know, man. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Um, But yeah, so it got a little bit murky. But like, I I know that like Hoppus said that he had heard Mm -hmm. 
shit. See now I'm now, yeah, yeah yeah. But but he heard really he heard Capitol Records era Jimmy World and was yeah. like holy shit. And I just find that to be such a funny revelation. And you know what you know what I find funny about it? Like in the book, I say that like Jimmy World discovered Christie Front Drive. And that was like a musical revelation that really opened them up. And you're like, yeah, oh, totally. I can hear that. I can hear exactly how their sound changed after hearing Christie Front Drive. But Blink-182, like, hears Jimmy World, and it, like, opens them up, and they change nothing. Like, like you can't say, like, oh, yeah, I can hear the Jimmy World influence on Blink-182. That's not real. You know, like, it, they didn't take anything from them musically. You can just see that they were like, oh, we should be a better band. <laughs> we should be Blink-182 a better band than we were. Uh, but they definitely, like, weren't taking musical cues from them. Yeah, not really. I mean, I feel like it's, like, the only difference is, like, I don't know... And I don't have any way of knowing this is true, but it's like, I don't know if a song like Adam's song would have existed kind of without, that's a but good that's point. about as far. Maybe. Yeah. That's <laughs> like a good it's, point. it's not that much of a leap, you Could know, be wrong, but like, why do I feel like I have it in my head? I have like all these half facts in my head that I'm pretty sure are facts, but why do I have it in my head that like Tom DeLonge used a blink or use the Jimmy Eat World song like as his wedding song. I I was gonna say that, but I think that's a Get Up Kids song. It's Is uh, it? uh, I'll catch you. Maybe. Yeah, and I think the, I thought the kind of potential, I think urban legend was kind of like, was it Blink One Eighty Two asked Get Up Kids to like go on tour with them, and Get Up Kids said no. I don't, mm, you know, but it's like who knows if this is real. I mean. You know, it's like, oh, well, that person in my neighborhood, they did this thing. You know, it starts feeling like that kind of thing with it. You know, um, I I think the kind of like, is it Static Prevails or Clarity kind of thing? It's It probably definitely was Static Prevails because I I guess I'm now realizing that Lesson Jake had like a longer Capitol Records era than I realized. Losing Street came out in 96 and Static Prevails came out in 96. So that tape would have more than likely had been losing streak but kind of going back so to what you said pathetic. i'm looking through my own book <laughs> yeah i have it is you're right now, it was so. static prevails you're right that but, they, there was a split cassette right that has i think i think digits and one other one other jimmy world song and then two weston jake songs but yeah it was static prevails my bad. yeah well when you were thinking when you were talking about the if you could kind of recite or kind of write down Jimmy World stuff. Right when you said Les and Jake, just I feel like lyrics from Hello Rockview just started like spouting in my brain, you know. And I feel like if someone was just like set a song name for Les and Jake, you know, with like a little push, I can just start singing like the whole song, you know. Um, but yeah, I could, I can't, I don't feel like I could do that with this record, you know, that I've heard my whole life. It feels like at this point. You know? mm-hmm. So it is strange in that way. I Well, kind of mentioning Jim's podcast, I think he kind of talks about that some where he kind of puts it off. He's like a, you know, really humble kind of guy. I feel like he kind of, he kind of throws these things away and like, it's not that simple, but he's kind of like, said, he kind of makes it like he just kind of piecemeals the lyrics together, like last minute hmm. kind of thing. And it's like, if he's doing that, or if he did that in this era, era, it's like, the best example of that ever happening you know but i think that's how he probably felt about it so it may be vague because he didn't completely know you know if i if i'm guessing like based on what he said during his podcast like it's like he's he's talked about like wanting to be like almost wanting to be less vague 
and kind of make songs about specific things that people that's like been his struggle you know uh mm-hmm. like he he wanted to be able to do the direct thing but he's he struggled with that there's also a, a thing that like i i don't know maybe i'm just uh swinging here but like it does seem to like you know he wrote this album when he was like 19 or something like that and just like wise beyond his years and like maybe it's one of the it's just like the craziest case of like accidental genius ever like obviously like jim is a great songwriter um but to write this album at 19 you know it just seems like the album that you write like on your deathbed where you have like all of your acquired knowledge over a lifetime or something, you know, just like wise beyond his years. And I don't know, it's just, or, or maybe it's something that like, uh, I don't know. Like a lot of people are just so embarrassed by their like teenage albums, but maybe this was just like a kid just trying to sound really smart and either did it or accidentally convinced everybody that he did it. You know, like, I don't know. Like, it's, I, I, I truly, you know, I, I don't, it's hard for me to even guess, like, how he put this together. I, and there's another thing, too, where, where some people just, like, hit a creative hot streak. You know, like, I think about Ben Gibbard all that time, that year that he was, like, 24 and he did Transatlanticism, which I and he also thinks is their best album, and the Postal Service record. And I'm like, Jesus, like, th- what a creative, crazy time. Like, whatever was going on in your life, you were able to mold it into art so perfectly. And I think for Jim, like, this must have been, like, that around that time, too, where he had this, like, couple-year stretch where he did this and then Bleed American not too long after it, you know? And I'm like, man, this must have been a hot time for your brain activity, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, I've, you know, been writing music for years. I've never had <laughs> that kind of point to it. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's fooled me. Like if it's, you know, like I'm not saying anything of like the vague kind of thing where it's like, Oh, I can look at it and tell it's vague. It's, you know, it's not like a condescending thing. It's like, He's fooled me as well. You know, if it's mm-hmm. if it's a thing he just pulled shit out of his ass, like he did a great job and it's still fully me. That's why know, like, I don't 30s. even want to ask him. I don't even, I, I actually like one of the um questions that I've eradicated from my interview repertoire is mm-hmm. like I no longer ask um artists what a song means. Just because like I feel like it's a it's a fairly reductive way of looking at art because a song can mean many things and it like we were talking about it can just sort of be uh like this unconscious expression of what he was going through at the time you know so i actually have been replacing that question as of late with more of a like what were you going what was going on in your life at that time that brought you to the place where you made clarity i think that's a much more interesting question than just being like what does your new aesthetic mean? I want to know what the weir- lyrics mean. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. So, uh, like the genius.com way of dissecting a, a song, you know, I think is a little bit reductive. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And, and, and I do know what was going on in his life at that time. I, I mean, I don't know what was going on in terms of like romantic or interpersonal things, but, uh, as a band, I, I know what they were going through. Like, that's what my book is about. You know, like they were going through a thing where they got this, amazing opportunity probably too early in their lives and not that they blew it but it didn't 
it didn't work out the way that they had hoped and and they were just kind of trying to refigure their their career and so like um and then also too you know like i think that there's a really great line from um zach their drummer in my book where he was just like we knew this was our last shot at this um because i think i could be wrong but i think that they had three records in their contract with capital but they knew that like this one wasn't going to go well and capital would probably drop them if i'm not mistaken and so they were like well fuck it we'll just as this is his words like load up the plate like the buffet you know like (laughs) we're at the buffet and so they were just like fuck it like this is our last chance of making a major label record what can we have on it a glockenspiel great and like a, a violinist great a cellist great like no wrong ideas like just just fucking like loading up the plate you know and 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 maybe that's why it's it sounds like it does it's just so over the top um you know not i don't think it ever sounds too much i don't think it's like their brian wilson era you know where yeah. they had like goats on the record or something like that but they were you know it was just like let's do every cool musical thing that we're not going to be able to afford next album um and and you know maybe that's maybe that's what it is it just sounds like them going for broke uh and yeah. so maybe that's why it's it's so um such like a, a like why it stood up for so long you know there's like a lot in it there's a lot packed into it yeah i also from reading your book and kind of like where you go into the specifics of kind of like the recording with mark trombino it's like their idea of even going for broke feels like it kind of made me realize how much of like punk kids they were because like even though it's like going for broke for them like the version of that of somebody that really bought into the the like major label notion would have done something completely different would have done more of the Brian Wilson smile thing so them kind of loading up outside of like you know i guess their comfort zones with it is still recording with Mark Turbino. Mm-hmm. You know, like he was a big name in certain scenes, not at like, that time, but, it, but not really. It's like a hindsight kind of thing. And not at know. that time. And in fact, Clarity, I think, is is probably the most influ- like the most impactful album in making him become sort of like the super producer that he ended up being at. You know, but like really at that time, um, I think he had a lot to prove as well. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's just interesting because it's like you know if in a lot of ways like in that story like you would have probably gone for i don't know what i'm trying to think of like big name producers and they're all like you know have dark sunglasses and they're bald you know um that's like i can't think of any of their names like kenny aronoff is that a name i don't know um but yeah any of those kind of guys it's not mark Trombino, you know (laughs) so it's just it's interesting great pairing i mean if they if they had decided like you know, like, oh, we really like the guy. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Or maybe they could have, I don't know. Like it it was just a really special pairing that just like worked out for everybody involved. Um, And like just thinking of like alternate universes where they went with somebody else like Butch Vig or somebody, I don't know. You know, it, it just might not have, it just might not have sounded as lush as it does. You know, maybe somebody else would have done something different with it, but like, yeah, perfect, perfect pairing too, which is like another, um, another aspect of the, that makes this album so special is this like, it's such a studio album, you know, like, um, at that time there were a couple of like celebrated albums in this genre or adjacent to it, you know, like, 
uh, probably their contemporaries at the time were like the promise ring braid, you know, but like, um, but this album, like, you know, I think, I think, um, Bob from, from braid said like they were using the studio as a, as an instrument, you know, which is not something a lot of bands in that scene thought of. They were very concerned with songwriting. Um, but this is like this, the studio, you know, it's like when they say that corny thing where in a movie, they're like, it's like New York city is a character in the movie. It's like the same thing. It's like the studio is an instrument in clarity. You know, it's, it's as instrumental as like Jim singing or anything. Yeah. Uh, what kind of backtracking? I was thinking of something. What's another type of question. Do you think like writers should not ask like artists anymore? Um, <laughs> how much do you make a year before taxes? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's just, that's just one that I've, you know, and it, it, it took a real like personal experience for me for, to, to like have my eyes opened by that because like I, I had written this like zine that had like some short stories and kind of fictional stuff to it. And I know what it's about. Uh, or, or at least like, I know what inspired it in my life, but I would, if somebody asked me like what it means, I would never tell them like sellout is a, is a nonfiction book. It's all stuff that happened. You want to ask me questions about that stuff? I'll answer it all day. We'll talk about that. But something that was fiction and personal, like I would just never explain it. Um, because like, again, like with like the way it does with clarity, it means what it means to you. Um, I know what it means to me. I know why I put the things that I put in there. Um, and I'm hoping that it'll subconsciously hit you, but I'm not going to sit here and explain it. Um, and so, yeah. So like, I just thought as of, as of late, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to ask artists that question anymore because they're going to see me as a non-creative person. Um, if you're just being like, what does this line mean? I want to know. Um, so yeah, I can't really think of any other good ones. I'll, I will say though, that like, you know, every touring musician that I know, the, the, the questions that they get constantly, which are never ones that I've really asked, but you know, like the, the most basic of questions is just like, what does your band name mean? <laughs> or like, yeah. how, how was tour? You know, like those are always like the signs of a real basic interview, I think. Yeah, one of the ones I feel like I hate a lot is when uh, writers ask, like, kind of like, why why the gap between records? Mm. Like, as if people don't, like, you know, it's like I was living a life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It's like well, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and and it, and it kind of demonstrates that you just see an artist, like, you, you've kind of, like, dehumanized them a bit. Like, I only see you in terms of, like, what you're producing. I don't respect the fact that you have a life and when you're not singing on my favorite record you know yeah it, it feels like with a tiny bit of research if you know you could well now with social media you know it's like you could kind of scroll back a little bit mm-hmm. and like it's like if someone were to ask uh you know like why the gap between against me records or something mm-hmm. and it's like there's probably a lot loaded up there it's you know you may you may accidentally get a lot of good answers to it but it's not a good question. Yeah. Know? It feels like, you know, the one, the one thing that I remember speaking of against me when, when Laura and I put her book together, she also at that time, I think 
against me. She was she was writing Shapeshift with me that that record, um, and so like those two things came out like very close together, the book and the album. And I remember we would go do all these interviews, and they would ask her like so what's next and she's just like i just fucking put out a book and an album like are you asking me what's next really um yeah so maybe that's another one to to avoid like don't ask somebody what's next when they've just put their life into you know releasing a piece of art yeah people have been doing that to me with sellout like what's next like literally the month it came out and I'm like, yeah, oh, I don't know. I just, I guess I'll just start my next magnum opus that, yeah, that me, encompasses gonna, everything I've ever known about music. <laughs> I'm going to scratch some questions. Yeah, off yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> no. no, you can ask me what, I think actually at no, this no, point, no, no. asking me what's next is probably a good kick in the ass for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I feel like I couldn't imagine, um, you know, it's like, I do kind of, it's like, I do wonder like where you would go after sellout, you know, it's like, it's almost like because of like, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine a book that I've read quicker, you know, than sellout, you know? Um, and yeah, so it's like, I want, I almost like want a part two, but I would hate to like ask someone to do that and you know, like, Hey, do that again. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, that would probably suck and not what you want to do as like a writer, but I guess then the question then is, uh, what chapters did you? Could you kind of talk about it in the book some? But like, what chapters did you have to cut that you wanted to put? Nothing. In? I didn't cut anything. Like, I, because well, or I, not like, that I didn't cut chapters, but because like, well, really, like the book was the fully realized version of the proposal that I had pitched okay. around. So it wasn't anything got cut. It was more like just some Sophie's choices of, um of of who i couldn't get to you know like just without it getting too clustered but yeah no it wasn't really a a, a, like nobody got axed or anything like that you know yeah yeah i mean there's like you know it's like i can well now i'm trying to because i can also edit this out it's like because because we get the distillers chapter it's like in my head i was like oh i want more of you know the rancid story but it's so weaved in to the for sure that, thing. that was then, my little that was my little parlor trick you know it's just like you're gonna get a story about the distillers but it's also gonna kind of be a rancid chapter you know and and but but it was so hard to do that without because i i really do think that the distillers are a fantastic band and i and i feel like it's unfair that they've been overshadowed their whole career by the rancid thing. So it was a very hard line to walk where you're like, well, this kind of has to be also about rancid. However, I don't want to contribute to the problem of them being overshadowed by rancid. Uh, so I want to make sure that the stillers are the spotlight and the rancid thing is kind of like the B story. Um, so the, yeah, that was kind of like a hard line to walk for that chapter. Mm. And, and if I have to cut this out, I will, because uh, when we start talking about rancid, I just wonder the type of people. Uh, but there's a part, and I'll pick it up again if I have to, if this isn't going to be sure, something you're like, I don't want to talk about that. Um, where it's like the things you're able to say about rancid, I guess, you know, not you just don't, what's the word? Uh, you don't like hide anything. I don't know if that's the best way I could have said it. And I wonder if there's been any like pushback from anybody, because it's like it kind of shows 
maybe it's not a secret like who the guys in Rancid are. So that's where yeah, I'm no, showing it's, I'm it's, not like a. It's like I'm not like I'm uncovering the fact that Rancid is a a pretty insular unit that was it that can be pretty petty towards outsiders and defensive you know like that's not news and also too it's not news that like you know there were some other things about that time that it uh, like the age gap that was out there like i don't feel like i really with that chapter did anything that was like it wasn't very expose i don't think i was just kind of like taking all of the facts and 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 the chronology of it and just like putting it in a way where you're like here's what happened to the most factual degree that i can attest to you know and you kind of draw your own conclusions that was you know that was the thing yeah. too where i'm like I, i'm not trying to say this is like i'm not trying to cast judgment i'm just like this is this is the order in which things happen this is the way that they went down this is what people said about it uh you you draw your own conclusions about it and you know like Maybe someone would read it and just have no problem with the way business was conducted. I don't know, but um, but yeah, that's <laughs> what that's what it I wasn't a nice time. About. You know, it wasn't yeah. a nice situation at all. And and to to write it in a, in a way that that glosses over that, I feel like would be really disingenuous. You know, yeah, that's what I really like about it too. It's like I can feel your personality through the book, but it's not like you're shoving your personality there you are laying the facts out but in you know in, in an interesting way and that like for example like i think uh in the same year i didn't read that many books last year i maybe shouldn't tell that about myself but i also read um shit the chuck klosterman book with the guitar on the cover uh <laughs> um killing myself to live mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay um so i read killing myself to live and it's just like in every he can't help but inject himself into totally. every that's that's, that's his way of writing biggest gr yeah sure <laughs> but it's but it's like to see the inverse of it you know kind of i guess like a michael Razarag kind of thing uh with it you know it, it's interesting to kind of compare that they're not the same because it's like chuck klosterman writing about it would probably also tell a time in his life that you know he dated someone that was much younger than him right. or something you know and and you know like uh, like for sellout and like look i you know if klosterman wants to do it that way like so be it he's obviously had a lot of success so who am i to say that it's like wrong but i just knew that for a sellout like i wanted like you said the opposite of that where it's just like i'm gonna give people an objective story that is so objective that i'm not in it at all like my yeah. editor really pushed me to have an intro for the book and I'm, I'm in hindsight i'm glad that we did that but i was very careful even in the intro never to say like i wrote this book because or you know there if you look closely there's no i there's no me ever 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 in it um because I, I just wanted to like people to take the story that being said like there are certain curatorial advantages that you do have as a writer where you know you're selecting what quotes are going in and which ones aren't and which facts are going in and which ones aren't so i do have some like power in how i steer people to interpret the story but i'm i'm never like in there pulling people aside and being like oh by the way you know like it's never me doing that it's always just like laying it out in the most factually accurate way that i can possibly do it and people can infer their own 
uh, judgments from it. But I certainly don't want to tell you about when I first bought this album and what I thought. That's That was not this mm-hmm. book for me, you know? Yeah. And maybe I would write a book like that. I've written more personally. Actually, sorry if this is the longest possible answer to your question. No, um, I love it. But I, I in, in writing this, when I was writing this book, I think I, and writing objectively like this, I think it did kind of, I think it did kind of like, put something in me that uh like i i did want to write more personally just um i don't know it's almost like if you're eating one thing over and over and over again even if it's good you're like yeah but i want to eat something different than this eventually and so i started writing these like personal essays about music at the same time like i was writing them at night and then um and then so after i finished sellout i i just put that out as like a little memoir zine um, but it was such a reaction to one was such a reaction to the other. Like I'm spending 12 hours a day writing objectively. I just want to write about how I remember music, you know? And so, uh, I did that on the side, but that wasn't, again, that wasn't like my proper book. You know, I don't yeah. know if I could do a proper book where it's about me. I don't know. It feels very like putting yourself out there in a way that I'm not sure I'm comfortable with. You know? Well, that's what was interesting about it. I feel like from your kind of music writing with, noisy i felt that there was a decent amount of you in it you know like and so almost i guess my personal journey even with picking up thinking about the book i was like i well i read the claustroman book before and i think going into your book i had almost assumed based on your music writing that that not claustroman but you know see where i'm going where it's like i I thought there was going to be a lot of you in it and then i was kind of like I was, like, I, I was getting messages like before the book came out where people said something like, you know, they would be like, Oh, I pre-ordered it. I can't wait to hear your take on at the drive-in. And I <laughs> yeah. didn't want to give anything away, but I was just like, there is no take in this. It's not my take at all. It's not anybody's take. It's, it's just factual. It's historical, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like those personal, like, <sighs> I don't know. I don't want to say that like one is any better than the other, but I do think that in like 10 years, you can probably pick up sell out and it'll probably still be as solid as it is today. And, or at least for me, I'll be like as proud of it. I hope in 10 years, Mm -hmm. but if I wrote like a personal book, reading it in 10 years is going to be like a little bit harder for me. I don't know if I'll be able to do it. Um, I, I don't know how Klosterman feels about his works that he did 15 years ago. Um, but for me, like I, it's, it's not something that I don't want to be tied to forever. Yeah, you're feels, saying the noisy feels, stuff. Yeah. I'm like, ugh. like looking back, there's a couple of cool things, but like a lot of it, I'm like, oh fuck, man, I wish I could nuke that off the internet, you know? Yeah. I think like, um, like one of the, a lot of the times on the podcast we talk about like the pitchfork review that, mm. you know, an, uh, an artist got. And, and so we're talking about a lot of, we haven't even like talked the, about clarity, clarity, which is, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't even think I actually looked it up for this. Oh, it's, uh, it's awful. I assumed. It's like it a was... 3.1 or something like that. They used to also just give people like a 0. 0.3 or something. It'd be something <laughs> where it's like it's not even a thing, you know? But this was an interesting one because they basically like called it gay. Like they, <laughs> they gave it like a 2.4 or something and they said it was like the vaguely homoerotic Abercrombie and Fitch catalog or something, like I, something weird like that. Um, but yes, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was, uh, well, kind of one last thing about classroom. It was kind of reading that book and just like where he tells a story about uh, like Great White and, he, uh, you know, and then I'm like, no one, like I barely know the Great White Fire of 2000 or whatever it was like, you know, so yeah, I, I think you, you picked the right angle or it's just the angle that worked for you, I guess one could say, you know, but I, but I like that about the book because I still feel like I could, you know, I can pick up like Michael Azarad's, Michael Azarad's stuff and it feels current, you know, or, you know what I mean? It doesn't kind of put itself even more of the time by doing that, you know? Uh, so I was like, with reading sellout, I was like, I'm proud of you. And I don't Thanks. really know. Yeah. I, and you know what, too? Like, I, I'm patting myself on the back here, but I also do had I had a huge benefit, which is hindsight, because like, um, you know, like I, I had read some some books that covered this kind of music. And in hindsight, reading the book back, you're like, mm, I don't know. Like, for example, Andy Greenwald has that book. Um, uh, Nothing feels good which is like about the rise of emo and you know like again like I'm writing this from of a, a, a perspective where I can look back and see the entire thing he he was writing it more as it was unfolding and it was like it's like a lot harder to do that and so like you know reading his book back you're like well this is an interesting capsule of the time but clearly this is not the definitive historical account of this you know like he he was writing about jimmy world as at a time where, where they were evolving as a band and and so like just it's just like an interesting to see like what a person at that time documented but it it has been made irrelevant now you know what i mm -hmm. mean like in, yeah. in hindsight uh, whereas when I started writing sellout, all this shit's over, you know, it's over by at least 10 years. So I, I had the benefit of like looking back and being a real smarty pants about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's did, like, it feels uh, like that episode of the Simpsons where she's just like, wouldn't be so smart if she didn't have her teacher's edition, you know, like that's what I felt like. I felt like I was writing the book with the teacher's edition, you know, I knew all yeah. the answers already. Yeah, or the, uh, not really relevant at all, just, I guess, another Simpsons thing that popped in my head. I always use the, when, when I'm, like, playing music, I just think about the episode where Homer starts teaching piano, and he's like, you just got to stay one lesson ahead. I said that I said that on another podcast, and I don't remember <laughs> in which context. But, oh, you know what it was? Honestly, I, I've been asked, whenever I've been asked about My Chemical Romance, the My Chemical Romance chapter, that's come up because like I that was the band that I knew the least about going into this project. But like obviously their fan base is so devoted that there's no way I could ever like put them one past them. So that mm -hmm. was always the line I kept telling myself where I was just like, well, I guess I don't have to be a Mike Ham super fan because I'll never get there. But like if I just stay one step ahead of the reader, <laughs> I'll be OK. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I thought about that line a lot, too. Yeah, I that was actually a surprising uh, chapter for me because I, mean, I just had no connection with them growing up. I, it's like I don't even know if I cared enough to be like, oh, I hate My Chemical Romance or whatever kind of like child thing I would have thought back in the day when they were, you know, around the first time. But I felt like I like I'm like, I like this band. I like these people like just from that chapter. You know, it was it was very interesting because. I didn't know anything about them going in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not it's something that, like, I um, am often moved to, like, sit down and listen to. 
but when I do, I'm like, yeah, this production is crazy. Like <laughs> I can definitely see what people like about this. Um, uh, and yeah. And it also just does seem too like, you know, like the, a lot of those pe- like a lot of that scene was just very unlikable people like especially now like just unlikable you know but the, they seemed like just like nice jersey boys who did good and so you're like yeah okay i'm not going to begrudge them <laughs> yeah that's how i start feeling about it because like i i think like kind of a hindsight thing but for a different reason when, when i think about people that are like maybe 10 years older than me that had a relationship with jimmy world when they were coming up and they're just like still so mad about it, you know, or like Jawbreaker. It's just like they, you know, I, I don't know if you've come, or you probably have come across that guy where it still feels like it's like, why do you still have a distaste for for Jimmy World? And I don't want to be that when I guess like My Chemical Romance would be mm. like that equivalent to me. So it's like, I mean, I wonder how I would have taken Jimmy World had I not gotten into clarity right around when it came out because honestly like when they blew up was around bleed american mm-hmm. was uh, was not around it was on bleed american when they had a hit like number one single with the middle and i think that the middle is jimmy world's worst song like truly like i i absolutely loathe that song and i've written about this and and i don't i can't even tell if it is that i don't like it musically or, or it's like pop culture ubiquity that I've just been like, think of the Taylor Swift commercials and everything else that it was fun, like all the movies that was in or whatever. So I didn't genuinely can't tell, but I just don't like that song. And so like maybe if I had not found Jimmy World prior to Bleed American's release, uh, yeah, maybe I would have been like, no, I fucking hate that song that's on the radio. And I would have written them off. I don't know. Maybe I, I would have, you know. Um, like it was like a Hoobastank song or something where I'm like, oh, this song sucks. The whole band must suck. Um, maybe I would have done that. I don't know. And I'm, I'm so glad that I didn't, obviously, because, uh, because uh, you know, Bleed American is like a, except for that song, is another fucking almost perfect album. And so, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I, found, I got to into Jimmy World when I did. Yeah, I don't. I, if I didn't have the people in my life that are like very persistent of listening to Jimmy World a lot, I probably would have had. I probably had that connection with Bleed American because it was so in your face and it was like what they were like in their people were in their underwear and like you know it felt like everything I was like against at the time. Yeah, you know? yeah, no it's it's yeah. like misleading. Yeah. And, you know, I wrote an essay about this a while ago for my my newsletter but um you know it um the middle is a song that like at once like I said I do not like sonically but I am just so grateful for it because like it basically just gave Jimmy world a career forever. Like as long as they probably want to do music, there's going to be now a label that will release Jimmy world records, you know, and it's all because of the middle, you know, like I'm sure the middle still pays their bills. I'm sure the middle's putting, you know, their kids through college. Um, so in a way I'm so grateful for it because like, I don't, begrudge them anything i'm so glad that they had success and if that's how you'd had to do it off your what i think is your worst song so be it i guess but um but like i'm just so glad that like something gave them the the financial windfall and the good the good success that they could just keep doing this other things for so long you know yeah i mean before i you know officially let you go um i know we talked about sellout so i guess if if you want to tell people where they could find you or you know what you're up to now um, the book's at sellout.biz, the best URL. 
ever. Um, yeah, that's that's where. Yeah. Um, well, I super appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I guess we didn't talk about the Pitchforks score, uh, but I think if anyone wants to, just look it up. Just look up any review from that era. They're, they're the same vibe. I think know? Zach was tweeting about it the other day. And, you know, Pitchfork, like, I, I wrote an essay about this, too, for my newsletter. Like, one of the things that, like, is so grating to me about Pitchfork is that they have been making a little industry over the last few years of, like, you know, reevaluating albums and, like, kind of doing these mea culpas for s- beloved things that they have trashed in the past. And, and it's so funny, in my book, like, they trashed Jawbreaker's Dear You, a masterpiece. They trashed... Jimmy World's Clarity, a masterpiece, you know, <laughs> like uh, there was somewhere they called it right. I think they did like at the drive in. Um, but yeah, um, this this is a great example of that. Yeah. Uh, the writers that wrote the along with the new reviews that they usually put up on like Sundays or whatever, they should also have a section where the original review writer has to write something. It doesn't have to be an apology or just kind of a, in hindsight, what do you think of this I'm review? I'm sure thing? they don't even remember that. <laughs> no, like, they don't. You know, like, I, and I don't even, like, blame them specifically no, because the early internet was so, like, Wild West, shooting from the hip, shit talk, semi-anonymous bullshitting that, I, I like, it's hard to even begrudge them as a as an outlet specifically. Um, but I do feel like it's funny now that they're, like, making this business out of like reevaluating and doing like a oopsie, you know, uh, it's, it's just a funny, funny angle for them of all people to cover. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I for really sure. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's it. That's so funny. A, a piece of dust flew across your screen at the very end. It was almost like dust in the, the Disney, like Fantasia, like <laughs> it's over. Welcome back. Thanks again to Dan for coming on the pod. Don't forget to check out his book, Sell Out, and pick up a copy from your local bookstore today. Okay, next time on the pod, we're talking with Madison Lucas of the band Modern Moxie. We talked about Fiona Apple's 2005 album, Extraordinary Machine. So stay tuned. Once again, check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Lastly, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you do that sort of thing. Reviews definitely help. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for adding the pod and Pretty Matty for the theme. Okay, see you next week. I've been in it.